The scripture reading today is from the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, 10 through 12, and 17a. Hear the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, how are you? How are you really? I wish I could have that conversation with each one of you individually. I know you're thinking, well, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. There are financial concerns, health concerns, virtual learning, loneliness, and now terrible cold weather on our minds and in our homes. It sometimes felt like we lived in survival mode before the pandemic. But now more than ever, meeting basic immediate needs takes up a lot of our energy and our mental bandwidth every day. For our friends and family members in the hardest hit parts of the country today, this may be as simple as wondering where your next drink of water comes from or where or when the heat and the power will come back on. And everywhere people are asking, Where's my next rent check coming from? Can I keep my job? How can I take care of older family members who are far away? For almost everyone, every single day is filled with these immediate granular questions like, how do I not get sick? How do I get groceries safely? Will daycare be open today? When and where can I get a vaccine? And how do I make this computer connection work? And also, what's for dinner? I cannot believe what a focal point of every day that question is. Answering all those questions and providing for these needs takes an enormous amount of time and energy. The immediate needs are real and pressing and exhausting. 
So along comes a church service, and this preacher on a Sunday morning, with a message from Romans that sounds at first ethereal and mysterious. We are deep in the heart of God's word about ultimate things, which on the surface may seem to have little connection to immediate things. Now, for some people, taking a break and focusing on ultimate things comes naturally and is a welcome escape. And there are plenty of other people who are going to get work emails during this sermon and have to clean up spilled juice during this sermon and just sit there wondering how and why the ultimate has anything to do with the immediate. When the immediate takes over, we can feel disconnected from our faith and distant from God. I think we need some good news. And then along comes the Holy Spirit. Along comes the Holy Spirit to connect our everyday lives with ultimate concerns and ultimate reality. Along comes the Holy Spirit to revive us and to help us make faithful choices. Along comes the Holy Spirit to help us pray about things which seem too complicated and too hard even to put into words. Along comes the Holy Spirit to figuratively pull us up onto the lap of our Abba, Father, and remind us that nothing can separate us from his love. So let's pray for that same spirit to be with us now as we take a look at Romans together. Living, loving God, we are so exhausted by our immediate concerns, and they loom so large in our hearts and minds. We need your spirit to keep us from losing ourselves in the immediate. We need your spirit to lead us every day, so we walk with you in good times and in bad. Please use this time to set our minds on the things of the Spirit as they are set out in your holy word. Show us the good news of Jesus, which defined and encouraged your people so long ago and defines and encourages us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul was actually in the middle of making a deeply personal confession where we last left off in Romans chapter 7. Paul acknowledged that living the Christian life is hard. 
Paul was not some distant, self-righteous religious leader writing to us across the miles and the years. This is someone whose whole heart belonged to Jesus, but who knew that he sometimes failed to be like Jesus, which I hope helps us all relate to Paul. Now, before we go much farther, let me say that the whole book of Romans will be easier to understand if you check out Dr. Rennick's very helpful Romans in 45 Minutes talk from February 10th on our website. And if you want to go deeper and you're looking for a book to pull it all together, look for Earl Palmer's book called Salvation by Surprise. Earl Palmer, who used to preach right here, addresses the gap Paul felt in the Christian life between being justified and being sanctified. To be justified is to be made right with God by the work of Jesus on the cross and then to embrace that grace. To be sanctified is to become Christ-like in all our thoughts, words, actions, and perspectives. We can definitely grow in Christ-likeness, but in this life, we never reach that finish line. But we do have a companion called the Holy Spirit as we live in the middle of that tension. The Holy Spirit is with each of us, helping us to hold up in the everyday, immediate things of life and helping us to hold on to the ultimate things. Romans chapter 8 is one of the good news chapters of Romans. Right on the heels of that passage where Paul admits that he still struggles with sin comes a summary of what God has done to ensure that sin doesn't win. This chapter explains the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us and to transform the way we face all the immediate problems of life. Paul names the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, 19 times just in this one chapter of Romans 8 alone. That's more than the Holy Spirit gets mentioned in some Presbyterian churches all year long. I'm exaggerating, of course, but the Holy Spirit takes a little work for Presbyterians to grasp. We talk about the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. We mention it during baptism and communion, and it was brought beautifully into the ordination and installation service today. And we use the phrase in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit occasionally. But I'm not sure that everyone knows what to do with the person, this person of the Trinity. 
It's a good thing that the Spirit knows what to do with us. The Holy Spirit is one person of God, the three in one. And one of the exciting things about this passage is that it gives us some of the ingredients for our understanding of the Trinity and some of the ingredients for other key doctrines of the faith. There are a lot of important, big-picture ideas here. But this is also about how the Holy Spirit is God present with us in immediate, everyday life. We could preach about this chapter for at least a month. Bach even wrote a whole cantata based on the first 11 verses. But let's lift out the two sections that Elder Kim Jensen read aloud today and take a closer look. Paul likes to start with the bottom line. Don't you wish more people would do that? So chapter 8 starts with, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Now to modern ears, this might at first sound like there's no judgment, there's no critique, no accountability in Christ Jesus, anything goes. But Paul has already debunked that idea in chapter 6. But far better, no condemnation here means no eternal death penalty for those who are in Christ. We are accountable to God, but in the end, Christ's righteousness covers us, and we can be at peace with God. It's like being freed from death row. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And you know how pastors are always reminding you that the word you in the Bible often means y'all or you guys or you plural, the group? Not here. This is a remarkably individual and personal message for you, singular, for each person who is listening. The new righteousness brought to you by the life-giving Holy Spirit liberates you from the downward spiral of sin and its deathly consequences. The downward spiral hit rock bottom on the cross. Verse 3 continues, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, to be clear, the body of law that God gave to the people of Israel in the Torah was a good gift. It articulated life-giving ways of living and standards of righteousness. But it couldn't make people obey. Rebellious human beings wanted to be their own authority and broke the law over and over again setting themselves up for painful consequences. This is still completely true today, right? All the rules in the world, and even rules with pretty stiff consequences attached to them, necessary as they are, can't make people do the right thing. This is one of the limits of the rule of law. I would not want to live for one minute in a country without the rule of law. But a legal system can't fix human nature. If your everyday work is inside the legal system, striving for justice, that is good and necessary. But our lawyers and judges and lawmakers know as well as anyone that there are things that the law can't make right, even when it's fairly applied, which it isn't always. We can and should strive for a more just society, but there are some things only God can fully restore and make right. The good news, and again, this is about good news, is that God has already sent his son to deal with sin. That means that Jesus paid the price for our individual sins on the cross, and it also means that through the cross and resurrection, God defeated the power of sin in a larger sense. The upward spiral toward restored humanity, a restored Eden and perfect justice has begun. Okay, so it might seem like we're flying pretty high above the immediacy of your pandemic life. And we are. Allow yourself, just for a minute, in the middle of the chaos and the demands and anxiety, to remember the ultimate good news. We're in this season leading up to Easter, and this cosmic liberation is why it's such a big deal. But there is also a very personal present liberation in this good news. Paul contrasts two ways of life, walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit. This 
absolutely does not mean that the human body in the flesh and the human soul are somehow at war with one another. Both our physical bodies and our spirits are part of our integrated humanity, created good by God. Let me say that again. Our bodies are not inherently sinful, inherently bad. Our bodies are to be cared for and respected and cherished. But we can walk through life in those good bodies two very different ways. The first way is to live according to the flesh. That involves assigning the highest level of authority in our lives to somebody with flesh, usually ourselves. It's the idolatry of making ourselves the arbiters of what's right and the idolatry of being led by our human desires, whether those desires are for creature comforts, power, prestige, control, sex, a substance which numbs our pain, or the dopamine hits we get every day from our technology, video games, entertainment, and social media. When we set our minds on those things and orchestrate our lives around fulfilling those desires, we lose sight of God in one way or another we end up dead. The other way to live is according to the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Life in the Spirit subordinates all of our human desires to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This way of life centers authority outside ourselves. We still have desires, which is completely fine. But we seek to fulfill them according to the Creator's construct rather than the culture's construct. We still have hard choices to make, but we seek God's will over public opinion when we're walking in the Spirit. This is what we mean by being led by the Spirit. Now, how in the world can a bunch of people who are inclined to do the wrong thing, whether they want to or not, just like Paul, how can a bunch of people like that possibly ensure that they're being led by the Spirit. The part of this passage that we skipped makes it clear that the Spirit comes to us as a gift and a benefit of life in Christ. Here's the key. The struggle of the Christian life is real but it comes with a power beyond our own. Paul says, you are not in the flesh, 
you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. This is resurrection power for the next hour and day and week of your very immediate concerns. And this is resurrection power for a completely different future than the box in the ground or the urn of ashes you're going to end up in. Okay, wait. The spirit of the living Christ dwells in us? This goes beyond being made in the image of God. D does that mean we become mini-gods? Absolutely not. It means that someone else who is not us is living in us and affecting us. So, like an alien in some gross horror movie? No. Okay, so this may sound like a dumb analogy, but recently I saw an ad for a water bottle with a fruit infuser compartment. I don't know who would want to wash that thing or go to that much work for water, but the idea is that you put fruit in one compartment the fresh fruit in one compartment, and then it flavors the water in the other compartment. The fruit and the water are different things, but putting one inside the other changes your experience of the water. And you get the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, I'm sorry, that was kind of bad. But on a much higher plane, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit means that the spiritual presence of Jesus is with us, with each of his followers at all times. Yes, God really does have the power to be with as many people as God wants. His power gives us the strength to make godly choices that we might not be strong enough to make on our own. The Spirit lifts our eyes above the immediate to the ultimate so that we can see a higher value than self-gratification or hang-on-by-our-teeth survival. Ooh, so like a puppet master that controls everything we do? Nope. We are still human beings to whom God has granted choices and free will. The Bible says we are led by the Spirit, not controlled by the Spirit. We can resist the Spirit's leading, maybe at least for a while. Ooh, okay, so maybe like a force field protecting us from all the bad things in life. Nope, definitely not. Jesus actually promises that we will suffer in life, but not alone. The Spirit of God redeemed Jesus' suffering 
and it can redeem ours. When the presence of God was with the people of Israel in the wilderness, it didn't make life fun most of the time. But they were not alone. They were being led on a journey that was part of a larger redemptive story. They were not being led back to Egypt. And we are not being led back into slavery to sin. We are being led out of sin and death to a redemptive resurrection ending. It's hard for us to imagine what that will look like in our earthly lives, but over and over again in the stories of people we know and people we don't know, we see God's presence in times of suffering, and we see God's redemption of suffering, even if it takes years. In the midst of weakness and suffering, the Spirit helps us and intercedes for us when we are too tired or sad or anxious even to form the words of a prayer. So all the new church officers who are sitting here in the sanctuary or a few who are watching at home today, will need to be led by the Spirit as they lead this congregation. Deacons and elders bring together the immediate concerns of this congregation with the ultimate concerns of God's plan. They will need, you will need, the presence of the Spirit to be effective. And you will need the intercession of the Spirit when the going gets tough. Deacons and elders, remember the promises that we have talked about today. They are for you too. Like everything about the gospel, those encouraging promises come wrapped in a relationship. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with God. Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. One of the whole points of Romans 8 is that by faith we get to participate in the outcomes of Jesus' victory over death and resurrection. We, lame human beings that we are, get to be adopted into a family relationship with God. Anyone who has ever been adopted or adopted a child 
knows the relief and the joy of becoming a forever family. Now, the last two verses of Romans 8 are pretty well known. But when I say them now, I want you to hear them with everything we've talked about today in mind. I want you to hear them knowing that our spiritual confidence is not rhetorical. It comes from being led by the Holy Spirit and adopted and restored into an eternal family as an heir with Christ. So listen to the very last two verses of Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing else in all creation, including the pile of immediate concerns in your life, can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus when you are led by the Spirit. When you feel bogged down, you're not alone. It's not just that you're not the only one. I mean that in Christ, you are not alone. You're never left out there on your own. So let's pray to Abba, Father. Abba, Father, if we are going to hold up and hold on, we need you. Open our eyes and hearts to the presence of your Spirit. Please help us to follow the Spirit's lead in the choices we make every day. May those choices Help us to become more like our Lord Jesus until we meet him face to face. When suffering is part of our story, we ask that you would redeem it and help us to trust you. Send us out into the world as your confident children. In the name of Jesus, amen.